We are going to be looking this morning at Genesis chapter 13, the entire chapter. Uh, the words will be on the screen behind me, or if you'd like to look it up and read along in your pew Bibles, which I always encourage, or the Bibles you brought from home, uh, you can do so looking on page 11 of those pew Bibles. But again, we're going to be looking at Genesis chapter 13, the whole chapter, all 18 verses. The scripture says, So Abram went up from Egypt, he and his wife and all that he had, and Lot with him, into the Negev. Now Abram was very rich in livestock, in silver, and in gold. And he journeyed on from the Negev as far as Bethel to the place where his tent had been at the beginning between Bethel and Ai to the place where he had made an altar at first. And there Abram called upon the name of the Lord. And Lot, who went with Abram, also had flocks and herds and tents, so that the land could not support both of them dwelling together. For their possessions were so great that they could not dwell together. And there was strife between the herdsmen of Abram's livestock and the herdsmen of Lot's livestock. And at that time, the Canaanites and the Perizzites were dwelling in the land. Then Abram said to Lot, Let there be no strife between you and me and between your herdsmen and my herdsmen, for we are kinsmen. Is not the whole land before you? Separate yourself from me. If you take the left hand, then I will go to the right, or if you take the right hand, then I will go to the left. And Lot lifted up his eyes, and saw that the Jordan Valley was well watered everywhere, like the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt in the direction of Zoar. This was before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. So Lot chose for himself all the Jordan Valley, and Lot journeyed east. Thus they separated from each other. Abram settled in the land of Canaan, while Lot settled among the cities of the valley and moved his tent as far as Sodom. Now, the men of Sodom were wicked, great sinners against the Lord. The Lord said to Abram, after Lot had separated from him, Lift up your eyes and look from the place where you are, northward and southward and eastward and westward, for all the land you see, I will give to you and to your offspring forever. I will make your offspring as the dust of the earth, so that if one can count the dust of the earth, your offspring also can be counted. Arise, walk through the length and breadth of the land, for I will give it to you. So Abram moved his tent and came and settled by the oaks of Mamre, which are at Hebron. And there he built an altar to the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So in our current sermon series, we are working through Genesis, but focusing on the patriarchs. We are seeing them as the founders of the faith, the first people through whom God established a covenant relationship. And by looking at them, we are learning how we can be God's covenant people. 
We saw, for example, in the first sermon that God's covenant relationship involves blessings and promises, but sometimes it takes sacrifices in order to pursue those promises. We saw last week that though we are sinful by nature and will fail in living out the covenant promises of God, that God is forever faithful. And this week, as I already explained with the children's message, we are going to be talking about what it means to make decisions as God's covenant people. Obviously, we make decisions each and every single day. Little ones from what am I going to eat for this particular meal to really big and heavy ones like is it time to relocate our family or is it time to consider a new career or a new business? And in making all of those different decisions, we take in a lot of information. And the fundamental question that I want to ask this morning that's going to guide our discussion is in making those decisions, do we just make them based on on what immediately looks good, feels good, will make us happy and, and please us? Do we make it considering what is healthiest for us and best? But most importantly, where does our relationship with God fit into those decisions? And how do we make decisions as God's covenant children? We pick up in the story of Abram right where we left off. He's been expelled from Egypt, sent with many great witches. He, Lot, and his whole clan now return to the land of Canaan. But immediately as he does, we realize that there's a bit of a problem. Abram has great wealth. He has a lot of gold, silver, tents and servants and all kinds of livestock. And since leaving Ur and Haran, he's been also traveling with his nephew Lot, who also has great possessions, and this is causing a problem. You can imagine, and it doesn't go into the details, just with limited supplies of food, limited amount of water for the animals, with animals crossing over, and, and your herdsmen aren't watching your sheep so that we have to, it caused a lot of problems. And into that problem, the solution seems fairly clear, fairly straightforward, that it is time to finally separate, to go different ways so that we don't have this strife, this conflict any longer. But even though that's the solution, the question, the decision that has to be made is, well, who's going to leave and where are they going to go? And in making that part of the decision, Abram passes that off to Lot. It says in verse 9, if you take the left hand, then I will go to the right. Or if you take the right hand, then I will go to the left. Now, that's actually a surprise in this text. As the older individual, as the head of this clan, you would assume that Abram would take the lead and he would say, okay, Lot, I'm taking this land. This is where I'm going to dwell. You go and figure out where you want to go, wherever it is. Just get away and go from us. This is what I'm choosing to do. But Abram doesn't do that. And in not doing that, there's some that suggest there's some significance. 
Some say that, as some of the commentaries I read suggest, Abram's probably quickly learned the lesson that we highlighted last week. God will be faithful. And so it doesn't matter if he gets the better or the slightly worse land. It doesn't matter where he goes. He trusts that God's going to provide and that God's going to guide. And so he allows that decision to be made by Lot. And our text bears that faith out to a certain extent. After they've separated and we get to the end of the text in verses 14 through 17, God again speaks to Abram and he reiterates, he reinforces and he clarifies the promises that he had been made a long time ago. Before, God had told Abram, go where I will show you. And now, as he stands in this land, God says to Abraham, look north, look south, look east and west. Everything you see, this is the land that I will give to you. This is the place where I will meet with you, will dwell with you, will walk with you on this life. Not only with you and your descendants. I am clarifying, this is the place that I have promised to you. But what is more, it's not just promising to Abram, but to his offspring. Which is another fairly significant element of this text. Up to this point, as the nephew of Abram, Lot, in many ways, is the next of kin. If anything had happened to Abram, Lot would be the one that would inherit all of his possessions and carry on the lineage and the family name. And so in many ways, as Lot is separated from Abram, this is a reinforcement and a reminder. I'm not just going to make these promises to your next of kin, but I'm going to make this to your offspring, your non-existent, not yet as of seen offspring that I am promising to you. So what a great joy that Abram gets to celebrate the fact that God is reinforcing these promises. He is a faithful God. But going back, as Abram passes this decision on to Lot, he has to make the choice of where he's going to go and where Abram is going to go as well. And in verse 10, we are told, And Lot lifted up his eyes, and saw that the Jordan Valley was well watered everywhere, like the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt, in the direction of Zoar. Lot looks up, and he looks out, and he takes it all in. And in trying to decide where his property, his possessions, his group of people are best going to be provided, it looks, he looks at the Jordan Valley and he sees there something that can only be described as being comparable to the garden of the Lord and to the place that he had seen in Egypt. It is wonderful. If he's looking for land that's going to be good and supply for his animals and be a great place to set up his tents, this is the ideal place. Verse 11 says, So Lot chose for himself all the Jordan Valley, and Lot journeyed east. Thus they separated from each other. Considering where to go, where to dwell, where to live. The decision seems easy and obvious. And the decision gets made. 
You can't blame Lot in many ways. When looking for a good place to reside, it is clear the Jordan Valley ticks all of the boxes. But here's the issue. In looking for a, a message in this chapter, it's, you have to recognize that this is kind of a, a transitionary chapter. It's moving us from Egypt and, and setting up what is next. But in that setup, there are some hints, some clues about where this decision is going to lead. The first little hint is in the verse that we just read. We are told that Lot journeyed east. And yes, that is a description of literally the direction that he traveled in. But when you take that comment in the context of Genesis so far, you recognize that that's a significant statement. Because there have been several moments after the Garden of Eden, by the Tower of Babel, that there are comments that people traveled east. And every time that happens, that is suggesting a movement away from God. And so our ears are pricked. But if that comment is too subtle, you also, or at least when I was reading through the text, there's a couple of parenthetical comments that get sprinkled in through the text that jumped out at me. The first was from chapter, uh, from verse 7, the second part. And it just says that at that time, the Canaanites and the Perizzites were dwelling in the land. The next comment is literally put in parentheses, and it says in verse 10b that this was before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. And then in verse 13, I'm sorry, in verses 12 and 13, it says, Abram settled in the land of Canaan while Lot settled among the cities of the valley and moved his tent as far as Sodom. And then it throws in the comment, now the men of Sodom were wicked, great sinners against the Lord. And in looking at those parenthetical comments and looking for a message, I thought, you know what? In many ways, the message is in those parenthetical comments. Those few somewhat offhanded remarks provide some very important clues, things that Lot, when he lifted up his eyes and took in the whole scene, should have also taken in. In those comments, we learn, first of all, the land is occupied. This is not just open country that anyone can lay claim to and start to develop, that there are other people that we're going to have this conflict of who do we find boundaries with, how do we displace them, who's going to claim this land. And there's going to be some difficulty in that, not for Abram, but Again, speaking to people who have just left Egypt ready to dwell in this land. There are occupants that have to be dealt with and it's going to cause conflict. But in particular, we learn who some of those occupants are. And that parenthetical comment that when, uh, when Lot chooses to go into the Jordan Valley, he's choosing to go toward cities of Sodom and Gomorrah. And what we find out about those cities is in that last comment, the fact that it is full of people who are wicked, sinners against the Lord. But 
we also read in the text that Lot has moved his tent as far as Sodom. So in making this decision, Lot chooses to settle among and near other people. Other people that clearly have a reputation for being wicked and evil. And so the question will become, as Lot lives near these people, will he positively influence them? Or is he going to be negatively influenced by them? And those comments become bright red flashing signs that this text is setting up a struggle and where it is going to go. Now, admittedly, we don't know for sure that Lot knew all of this, but we do know that in making a decision on where to go, Lot took it all in. And in taking it in, he made his decision based on what he thought would be best for his possessions without really seeing or considering what that decision would mean for his relationship with God. And the little things that he overlooked highlighted in these parenthetical comments were the very things that would, in the end, cause all kinds of problems for him in the future. And reflecting on that truth encouraged me to think about how often we can do the very same thing. As I said, each and every day, as you know, we make all kinds of decisions from small to big. But the question always is, what are you making those decisions based upon? What is appealing in the moment? What will be best for you in the future? Or how is this decision going to affect my relationship with God? And there's some obvious examples we could point to in that. Young people, as you start to date and to consider who is it that you're going to marry? Who are you looking for? Are you looking for the most attractive the person that has the best job and so you know that they're going to provide for you and you'll be comfortable financially throughout your life? Are you looking for someone that just makes you feel good because of the way that they treat you? Or do you consider, will this person encourage me and prod me on to grow closer in my relationship with the Lord? And how many times have we seen one person wed themselves to somebody else that rather than being an encouragement to their faith, pull them further and further away from their relationship with the Lord. A very similar comment could be made about when you're making decisions about whether or not to go to college or when and if you go to college, which school. Do you go to the school, the best school that you can get into because it has the greatest reputation? Or do you go to the one that is most affordable? Or do you consider how are the things that are taught at this school going to affect my relationship with the Lord? Am I going to have to walk into every single classroom being uh, antagonized and challenged for the faith that I have? Or will I be encouraged in that faith? And how will that play into the decision of my college? 
Those kinds of decisions aren't just for young people, it's for adults too. When you're offered a job and you have the opportunity to maybe get a promotion, do you think about, all right, this might mean more money, but it might also mean more time away from my family, more time away from church because I have to work on Sundays. And to what extent, despite the financial gain, will the decision about the time that is lost or sacrificed play into those decisions? And it's the big ones and the little ones. When I get a cell phone, if I get a cell phone, what apps do I put on it? And how will those apps affect my relationship with the Lord? What music, what television, what media do I consume? Is it going to foster my walk with God or is it going to chip away? Is it going to get me thinking about words I shouldn't be saying, about images I shouldn't be seeing? Every day, we have decisions before us. And my very simple and straightforward hope is that in making those decisions, all of us will remember and think about and be aware of how those decisions will impact our relationship with the Lord. Because if we ignore that fact, we might start down a path that is going to lead us into all kinds of problems, troubles, and struggles. Now, of course, we can't see the future fully. But again, even in considering the question, how will this affect my relationship with the Lord, you're going to go a long way toward making better decisions in this life. I ask that not only for us to consider as we get ready to leave this place and serve our God, but I ask that as we approach this table. This table where we think about what Christ did for us. Certainly, his mission was to sacrifice himself, and he didn't do that because it was the easiest, the most comfortable, or the path he, he desired. He did desire it, but it wasn't the path that was easiest for him. Totally the opposite. But he did this because this was the only way that we can be restored in our relationship with God. And then in recognizing all that Christ did for us, how much more should we consider that in being saved by grace, being called God's covenant children, that every decision I make should be made in light of that incredible truth that I and a forgiven sinner by the blood of Jesus Christ. Well, as we prepare for that table, let us bow our heads in prayer. Father in heaven, we ask for your forgiveness for far too often making choices and decisions in our lives based entirely upon temporary and momentary satisfaction. Forgive us for often ignoring our walk with you and participating in things that ultimately have taken away from our relationship with you, that have challenged our faith rather than feeding it. I pray, O oh Lord, that our eyes would be open, that we would be wise and conscious, guided by your Holy Spirit, so that when we make these choices, the big ones and the small ones, we would do so primarily with the thought that whatever we do, we want to serve you, to grow closer to you, and to live lives that are worthy of the calling that we have received being bought by your body and your blood. 
As we remember your sacrifice, O Lord, we pray that it would be a reminder of all that you did for us. Receive our praise and glory in worship and in service, we pray in Jesus' holy name. Amen.